0: Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with
1: host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Got a great show for you this week. Jeremy and Gretchen, welcome to the show. Sup. Hi there. Steve Mailer is going to be joining us a little later in the show as well to talk about auctions and the production Mm -hmm. of a show related to doing auctions. So that's got to be an interesting interview. I really always like his behind the scenes stuff, and this looks to be another really good one. We're also going to talk this week a little bit about film 4K and why a lot of times older movies actually look better on your high definition television than some of the stuff produced in the 80s and 90s. And we r- ran into this with uh, the classic Star Trek, and I, you guys remember that. I mean, it was amazing. It was quite beautiful on 4K. It was almost like we were there. Yeah. It did. It felt like you felt like you were on a set, you know, and I, I think. Uh, I I think it's interesting to figure out why that is and what you can do to get that because there's a lot of older movies and television and that type of thing that can look really, really cool as long as you get it and do it right. So one other item of interest that's in our upcoming schedule is we're starting to get some things back on the agenda for conventions that we may be able to go to. And all of this is based on the idea of it's safe and if it's appropriate to go and, and stuff. So what we're doing is kind of looking at this from an abundance of optimism. And going Ooh. ahead and keeping it on the schedule, and then when we get closer to these things, we'll uh, make a final decision you know, based on what the world is at that time. And one of the ones that has been moved, and I actually think it's a very good idea, is the Star Trek convention. It was originally set for the first week of August in Las Vegas. Now, Au- Las Vegas is reopening, but it's going to be a lot of time before things get to any form of normalcy. So they've moved it to December uh, the 9th through the 13th. So what do you guys think about that? Well, for one thing,
0: um, having been uh, a Las Vegas resident some years ago, um, August is really hot. And the idea of wearing a costume with like heavy makeup or, you know, prosthetics and stuff in the heat
1: would be miserable. So in December, I think it's going to be a lot more fun. Yeah. I, I think so too. I think it'll allow them to get a little more time passed to make sure everything's safe, get the visitors back, that type of thing. And it's the same guess, it looks like, uh, at least for the most part. And uh, it looks like it's going to be definitely coming together. So we're looking forward to that. I have not been to a Star Trek conference in many, many years, so this will be fun. So I'm hoping that it goes off and that we're able to actually do it. So Yeah, that'd be great. You know, that being said, at the end of the show, we're going to talk a little bit more about what our schedule is or our proposed schedule for the moment and what we're actually looking at doing. But with no further ado... Let's talk about this week's pop culture and technology news. And the news this week is brought to us us by our friends over at WeAreTechnology.com. It's still a good time to get that website updated, get that phone app redone, get your computer needs taken care of before everything completely reopens and be ready to go. WeAreTechnology.com. What's in the news?
0: Do you use Google Chrome's incognito mode? You may be eligible for $5,000.
1: Yeah, Tell me about this. Well, I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler (laughs) alert. The incognito mode is being found to not be incognito. Um, Yeah, that's (laughs) kind of uncool. (laughs) So one of the big things that's either a good thing or a bad thing, depending on one school of thought with Google, is the fact that they do track a lot of your web activity. And we've talked before a little bit about the site, myactivity.google.com, where you can go and see what's actually saved about you. Incognito mode is a, a portion of the Chrome browser where it's not supposed to track what you're doing on the internet. And then you can use it for whatever purpose that may be. Um, The problem with this is, is that it was still tracking under certain circumstances and the user wasn't aware of that. At least that's what's being alleged by a class action lawsuit that's come out this week, where they are looking into getting a settlement for this. And if you've used Google Chrome and you've used incognito mode at any time, they're saying that it's good to sign up when the link is available. And you could qualify for part of the settlement, which should be around $5,000. So we'll see how this actually plays out and what the details are that come out of it. Uh, Google's denying this, by the way, adamantly. So there are <laughs> two sides to this coin. And what you know is, happens has to be proven in court. And that's definitely the direction we're headed with it. I guess the one thing to keep in mind is if you're on the internet, just kind of take the attitude that it is possible that it's not completely private. Uh, apparently an entire Roman city was revealed without any digging. So technology called ground penetrating radar is used it's for this cool type stuff. of thing and I know Jeremy you were looking at this a little bit. What what's going on? Okay, basically they found a uh, medieval city
2: uh 50 mile 50 kilometers, not miles, uh, north of Rome and it's called Faleri Novi, okay? Um they basically they found it and they started instead of just digging everything, they used ground penetrating radar and discovered the layouts of the streets and the buildings and the, and the giant uh, bath uh, complex and all these cool things, but they haven't dug anything up.
0: They've been doing a lot of this stuff on like TV shows Mm -hmm. with um, Josh, Josh Josh Gates. Gates. Yeah. 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 And he uses this stuff a lot. And there's a, I think a couple of other shows like that where they explore hidden stuff and it's really becoming the thing to use.
1: Yeah. Ground penetrating radar. Another one called LIDAR.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a
1: number of technologies like that out there. LIDAR maps does 3D maps of the area around you. And it's the basis actually of the technology that's used to allow a self-driving car to see. These uh these type of techs are out there. I had an opportunity to use ground penetrating radar on a project a few years ago in Europe, and it was kind of fun. We found all these tunnels underneath that had connected two old castle towers, and it's all things that we would never have been able to dig into, not just because of budget, but because somebody had their farm on top of it and Probably would have reacted negatively to us bringing in heavy equipment, digging up all their all all their product. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why, but you know they they might have. But it was kind of fun to be able to check it out. Uh, We found where at one time there was a train line uh, that has long since been abandoned, but you could still see it with some of it with the ground penetrating radar. Uh, The line had been taken out, but you could see the bed, the bedrock bed that it was on. And again, you wouldn't have been able to see that from from the soil or just from looking around. So. I think a lot of this is really cool and I think there's a lot of discoveries out there still to be made and now they're able to do it in a way that is a lot gentler on the, on the land and you don't have the problems of access like you would before when you had to dig everything up. Google to launch currents? Okay, what is this? So, the, I, the okay, I'm going to give my opinion here. This is one of those software products that probably should have died <laughs> and, and hasn't. Um, Some of us may remember an attempt Google did at social networking called Google+. Plus.
0: Yes. Yeah. It was
1: actually very pretty. It was very pretty, but it never really caught on. And what happened is in 2019, uh, Google decided to do away with Google+, Plus because it wasn't being used a lot. It wasn't adopted very widely, never really took on Facebook, which is what they wanted to do. So they turned it off for anybody that was a free user. However... For anybody that's on the paid version of Google, there's a paid version with apps and different things like that that uh, cost five bucks a month, and they have a lot of great services. I use it. A lot of people do, and it works well. And it, in my opinion, it's been worth the money. But Google Plus lived on with that. So like my Google Plus page is still there. Yours is probably too. And uh, anybody that's listening that has a paid account, yours is probably there too. You can go still go to plus.google.com and see it. So what Google has decided to do is rename this product to Currents. So it'll be Currents.Google.com, although all the old links will continue to work. And it's supposed to be some kind of an update to add some new features to this and kind of let it live on a little bit. And as to what this is actually going to do or if people are going to like it, I don't know yet. I think the attempt's good, but I think that the whole Google Plus thing was a little late to market anyway. So now it's really late. And let they have something up their sleeves that we don't know about here yet. But if you see the term currents in relationship to a Google product, it's basically a rebranding and a new version of what was Google Plus. New Tesla batteries to have million mile lifespan. So, the battery is the biggest thing on a hybrid or an electric car that you have to be careful with, especially if you buy one used. Their lifespan's limited, and if they go bad, it's extremely expensive to replace one. How much? Uh, It can be in the thousands of dollars, and that can vary depending on the type of car, but it's not your $90 battery at Walmart. (laughs) It's a lot more money. And to a point, if the car is older, when the battery goes bad, it can actually total the car based on the value. So this is something that uh, has been one of the things that has been a concern about adoption to electric or even hybrid vehicles. And this new company uh, through Tesla, it's not Tesla that's making them, but it will be them that's selling them, has a battery that's capable of a million or 1.2 million mile lifespan. Now, that doesn't mean that it's charged for that long. You still have to recharge it every four or 500 miles, but it's capable of holding a charge for that or 2 million kilometers is what the actual basis is based on. And uh, if that actually comes to work, and it looks like it will, It could really revolutionize the battery market because the battery would now outlast the rest of the car because most cars aren't driven a million miles. It's a couple hundred thousand and that's the end of the lifespan, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. I like electric cars. I uh, have a hybrid now myself, which that part of it has worked quite well. Uh, Going full on electric, I think is still a few years off for me, but I do tend to be an early adopter. So we'll see how this works out. And something like this will change my mind. Well, we'll be back after the break. Got some great interviews for you this week. Have a Q&A coming up. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Send us your questions and your comments. Our next segment is actually based on a listener question. And the way that you can get this to us is by calling us at 503-766-6264 or sending it to us on social media at One User-Friendly on Facebook, One User-Friendly on Twitter, or going to our website, userfriendlynation.com.
3: Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. It's good to be here as always.
1: So, Uh, Jeremy and Gretchen and I, and you have kind of talked about this a little bit before we started recording today, and it's something that we've noticed and something that listeners have asked quite a few times over the past year or two, and that has to do with the resolution of television programs and movies. And it seems like older shows, older television, older movies can be made to look really good on a modern high-definition set. But stuff from the 80s and the 90s especially seems like it just doesn't have it. So why would the older stuff look better than the newer stuff? And at least that's our question.
3: And I know, Steve, you've worked with this a little bit. So mm-hmm. can you give us the 10,000-foot answer? Well, it, it would be hard to summarize that in seven and a half minutes. Now, the, um, the way this topic came up for me is that my, my father has become an avid listener of the show. And so the, my discussion of... Some of the the ways that older films can look really good, especially on Blu-ray disc is kind of his fault. Okay (laughs) his 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 name is Bob. He lives in Auburn, California. Yeah, we can blame Bob. Bob. We can blame Bob Mailer for this because he's uh, he and I kind of got into this conversation. So that's another way you can also pose questions to the show is uh, relatives. Yeah, <laughs> anyway. That <works> too. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, one uh, an answer that I have I'll give a real life example. I've been a horror movie buff for oh gosh, as far back as I can remember. It's actually how I got into filmmaking was just a love and appreciation for some of the old uh, Universal horror classics of the 30s, 40s and 50s. And so as a, a gift to myself last last year I purchased this Blu-ray collection of about 30 Universal films, and it, it, it encompasses The Invisible Man, the, the Mummy series, The Frankenstein series, The Wolfman, and Dracula. These are all the legacy films that came out of the 1930s and 40s of Universal Studios' heyday. Now, I've watched these things for years on television. Of course, standard video, or standard DVD, or standard VHS, and they've always been fun, and I've appreciated them. But when I got these Blu-ray discs, I was, I was mind-blown of how sharp the detail was. It was like I was watching these for the first time. And so I did a little bit of digging, and I'm trying to figure out, okay, well, why does it look so much better? And one of the reasons for that, one of the, the answers to that, is that the resolution of film has always been far superior to standard video. So if you think about standard video, you're talking about a resolution that's about 720 by 480 as a, as a full-frame video frame. But when you're talking about film resolution, you're talking about uh, resolutions that approach 2K, and in some cases 4K, especially like with 35mm. So that's one of the reasons why stuff that was shot in the 40s, the 50s, on, say, 16mm film, they stand up so well because the resolution has never been exploited for home video. And I I thought it was kind of interesting if you really think about that, but it's true. I mean, the resolution's there. The technology is just catching up.
1: Yeah, it's interesting kind of what's old is new again in that respect. And I know where we first ran into this, and Jeremy and Gretchen, you were with me on this one, was the classic Star Trek.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it seemed like uh, William Shatner as Kirk was, it was like there was a um, a, a little box in our wall, and he was on the other side doing the
1: performance. You could just reach out and touch him. Yeah, I know. It just, I I remember you could actually see the cloth that made up the screens. The makeup. The (laughs) makeup, yeah. The
2: the best part was the wrinkles in the overhead monitors that had the pictures of like the space scene and the other stuff. You could actually see the wrinkle in the fabric. It was amazing. Yeah,
0: Yeah. and you could see the stitching, you know, like where maybe they had adjusted the costume or they didn't have quite enough time to make it fit right. And it was kind of rumply and I'm like, As a kid, I don't remember seeing all this stuff.
3: Now, one thing that, Bill, part of your initial question is why does some television not hold up really well? Is that It it depends on what the original programming was done. If it was shot on film, like Hill Street Blues, then it should hold up because it was shot on film. But when you're talking like sitcom television, a lot of that stuff was still shot on what essentially would have been standard video resolution, one-inch, two-inch quadruplex tape. And you know, there was certainly nothing wrong with using one inch or two inch videotape. It's what a lot of studios at the time were using. If you were doing a drama, if you were doing a soap opera, comedy, whatever, that was a multi camera in studio setup. Videotape was a lot less expensive than film. There was no processing time. You were able to see immediately what you recorded and review what you recorded. So the medium kind of dictated how television and other programming was being done in the eighties and nineties. And so, you know, you kind of sacrifice when you're when you're stuck at standard video resolution for future releases. You really don't have the data to hold up for new releases, like you do with things that were shot on and originated on film.
1: And you would definitely want to find one that's been digitally remastered. Uh, that's important to get back to the original resolution. Correct. And I, you know, and I know with some of these things like like we were seeing on the 4K or even the 1080I, really. Um, It is like seeing it for the first time again. There is so much additional detail.
3: It is so much fun.
1: And I know back, uh, you know, we talk about Star Wars a lot on the show. And one of the things that had happened when the movies were first released in the 70s and 80s, they didn't come out with them on any kind of a home format initially because the technology was so different. Correct. And they knew that a lot of the detail, a lot of the different um, aspects, the experience, if you will, of seeing the movie in the theater would not carry over and then if your expectations are set for one you end up with a bad experience now this seems like going the other way where everything that we've seen on television because most of us aren't going to have seen the invisible man when it came out in the theater
3: no. right no.
1: yeah you know that was a long time ago so um if you've seen it you probably have seen it on television and all of a sudden now we have access to it again as it was originally meant to be
3: correct Well, you're, you're seeing the actual film grain. You're seeing the actual detail that they probably saw in the theaters. And it's, it's, sometimes it's very staggering. It's like, oh my God. So it's like you're watching it for the first time. Yeah. No,
1: that is definitely the same thing I noticed in the Star Trek series and a lot of other things, even some of the black and white of the era. I love Lucy's like that. If you watch the remastered version,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, so you have a lot of different things that definitely play out that way. Yep. Well, everybody, thank you. This has been a great topic. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is the section of the show where we answer your questions. And how do we answer your questions? Well, we got to have them. You got to send them in. One user-friendly on Facebook, one user-friendly on Twitter, or you can call us at 503-766-6264. What questions do we have this week? Why can't I save the same files on both a hard drive and a flash drive? All right. So strictly speaking, you actually can, but This dives in a little bit into another question. And when I talked to the listener about this to find out what they were having an issue with, and it turns out that the actual problem is, is that some files of a very large size could be saved on a hard drive, even an external hard drive, and would not be able to be saved to the USB flash drive. And what you have going on here is a problem that is created by the way the flash drive is set up. Most smaller and older flash drives are formatted with something called FAT32, which limits the size, the maximum size of any one file. So even if the drive is bigger, it won't um, allow for bigger files to be stored to it, and you just get an error. Now, some flash drives are pre-formatted, or you can reformat them to NTFS or another file system that supports larger files, and then it will work like the other hard drives. So the reason that they were seeing this difference is most external hard drives are formatted as NTFS, Again, this is just a term to talk about the way that it's done, and there's a number of different ways to do it. So that's just a 10,000-foot view answer, but it is something to look for. If you know you're going to need to save large files, make sure you get a flash drive that's capable of it.
0: What is USB-C? What is that? So USB- I've never
1: heard of it. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> you actually have used it. USB-C is oh. what the port on your phone is. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you, there's a number of different types of USB ports. They all basically do the same thing, but the physical plug is different. So standard old-fashioned USB is a flat, larger, rectangular plug still used with bigger computers and that type of thing all over the place. There's Uh a rectangular or square port. Uh, Then there's the micro and mini USBs and now USB-C, which the difference is, is that it's basically the same thing as USB 3.0, another term for you, in speed and capacity and capability. Uh, USB 3.0 is usually, uh, your USB port is blue. So that's how you can tell if some of your ports are blue, that means they're a faster port, and that's why. Yeah. <laughs> and what they found is that there was a problem with the USB plugs because they would only be able to be plugged in one way. So one of the added features that USB-C brings is the fact that the plug will plug in upside down and work exactly the same way. So it kind of takes away that limitation which uh, for those that were having trouble with it, uh, it deals with that. Now, of course, it's introduced a new kind of USB plug, so everything's changing over again, but it looks like it has been well adopted. as from what I'm seeing as most newer devices like cell phones and tablets and whatnot are using USB-C as their standard interface now. What is, th- is Thunderbolt the same as USB-C? Yeah, I think the question of what is Thunderbolt is probably a good one to start (laughs) with. That was a better question. (laughs) (laughs) So so what is Thunderbolt? Thunderbolt is an expansion port. You see them on the Mac. Ah. And uh, they've switched over so that it uses a USB-C plug. However, what USB-C is capable of doing and what Thunderbolt are capable of doing are two different things. So Mm -hmm. that obviously could get very confusing very quickly. Uh, If you have something that requires Thunderbolt or more accurately requires USB-C and you plug it into a Thunderbolt port, even though the plug might physically fit, that doesn't mean it's actually going to work. So there is a difference between the two. This tech was used a lot for um, video and that type of thing where they needed a higher speed. And as Apple is trying to standardize everything and go to USB-C, they've wanted to keep that because there are some times that you specifically, especially if you're a Mac user, would need a Thunderbolt port, a device that requires it or something, but you don't want to have to have the proprietary cable. So that's basically what's going on there. It's the right idea, but it's an idea that where I could see it could be confusing because you have the same port, but something works in one and doesn't work in the other.
0: What is the difference between D&D 3
2: and 5? So Jeremy, you've got about 30 seconds. Go. <laughs> okay. D&D 3 is a is a much earlier edition. It's from two thousand. So it's 20 years old. Um, D&D 5 is what we're currently running, uh, and it came out in 2010. But um, basically the differences are different types of character classes, spells, uh, feats, and abilities. It's just basically the way you set up your character and the way the rules apply, different types of rules, different versions of rules.
1: So just to back up a little bit here, D&D stands for Dungeons & Dragons, which is a tabletop yes. role-playing Sorry. game. And uh, I think that's important to throw that out. So basically what you're saying, it's just a different kind of a different edition of the books with d- a few right. different rules. Yeah,
2: yeah, earlier earlier editions. Yeah.
1: So we'll dive into that in more detail in a future show. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break.
3: Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Joining me now, Steve Mailer. Well, thanks, guys. I'm having a really fun conversation today with someone that I've been doing uh, interesting things with over the last seven years. She she was probably my first real entry into doing reality television. It was a show called Auction Addicts, and we filmed it from around 2013-2014. Her name is Samantha Brocklesby, but we lovingly call her Sammy B. Sammy B, welcome to User Friendly.
4: Hello, how are you, Steve?
3: I am doing great, and I'm excited to have you here. I've been trying to get you on the show for weeks, but you're just too darn busy.
4: You know, life happens that way sometimes.
3: Yes, it does. So, Auction Addicts, as I mentioned previously, was a reality TV show that Followed six or seven people that seemed to be addicted to going to live auctions, and it was centered around uh, weather vane auctions by Sammy B, which was a a sparks location sparks Nevada location you had for a while. Tell us wh- some of the things that drove you crazy about being on auction addicts
4: just uh the cameras were not filming all the time when uh-huh. crazy stuff happened
3: oh, of course not
4: We would have the craziest customers come in obscurely and the camera would be off right at that moment in time, or someone would be in my face screaming at me and I'd be looking around going, gosh, why don't we have cameras on this? That'd be great.
3: <laughs> well, you know what was weird? I think a lot of this stuff happened when on days when we weren't filming, yeah. it, I think it had a lot to do with this was the week because auction addicts was not just about the auction itself and the the winners and what they won, but it was also about the the preparation process of of running up to the auction for the week. So it was never really clear when when something crazy was going to happen. But I do remember you saying, you know, God, Steve, you guys should have been here yesterday because we had blah blah blah, and it was like, oh man. <laughs> so uh, it's a shame that we could never pull anything off of your video security system because that probably some of that stuff probably would have been priceless.
4: Oh, I'm telling you, uh, you know chaos should be my middle name <laughs> what is
3: your middle name by the way I, i've known you princess. for this i'm sorry
4: my middle name's princess seriously seriously yep i'm the princess of the auction
3: oh my god were your parents drunk or something
4: <laughs> you know it's a family name my grandmother's oh. name was princess and my do- both of my daughters their middle names no are way. Princess
3: as well. wow yeah. you know i don't think i knew that about you really so, that's
4: because everybody calls me Princess once they find out that's my middle no, name. No.
3: Okay. Wow. <laughs> I thought they were just being coy or funny or something. They were no. li- literally calling you by a, a proper name. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I would never have thought that. Okay. So wow, I just learned something new. Thank you, Sammy. Or I'm sorry, thank you, Princess. Um, <laughs> see, ninety-nine, and now you're in trouble. So I love
4: that name now. Yeah, I get it tattooed on me
3: somewhere. Oh well, I'm okay. I'm not going there. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> now, speaking of sparks, you were there for quite a number of years, but then you relocated out to Fallon, Nevada, which is about maybe 50, 55 miles east of where you were. How has that changed the the nature of your business, or or has it?
4: It has completely changed our lives moving out here. You know, when we were in Sparks, we were the auction house to be at. We were huge. We had lots of employees. And I really just wanted to recapture my life because we're getting older. My husband and I work like dogs, 19 hours a day sometimes. That's crazy. You know, Um, six days a week. And when we moved to Fallon, we decided we wanted a little bit uh, slower pace. So we really push trying to be more online user-friendly. Okay. So we're worldwide. Good term. Isn't
3: that a great yeah. term, people? Online user-friendly. How fitting is that?
4: How, it is, you know? But that's really, we have great customer service when it comes to our, our online department. We have it where people can log in on every Friday night through our weathervaneauctions.com uh, website. Okay. And if they bid through proxy bid on Through our website, they can find it under the blue button. They can hear the auctioneer and myself just telling stories, auctioning. You know, we act like the people (laughs) are right in front of us. They're becoming a family of our own right here. But Uh we do ship worldwide, and we have the same customer's predominantly who log in every week. And then we have probably 50 to 75 new bidders each week that log in.
3: You kind of led into the next part that I wanted to talk to you about in terms of how your business has changed. Because I know when you were in Sparks, you had a lot of physical foot traffic, people in the store. And I know out in Fallon, since you moved out to Fallon, because I've had an opportunity not only to be a customer, but also to be a staffer. Right. So I've kind of seen the, the, the volume of physical people in the building has gone down quite a bit, but I've also noticed kind of the inverse that your online bidding community went up quite a bit. And you've taught, you touched on proxy bid. So if someone goes to weathervaneauctions.com, that's the process where you lead over to the proxy bid site and do an online registration, right? You have to put in some payment information, your contact information. And then from there, you become eligible to join one of your live auctions and bid.
4: That's correct. And we do ship all over the world. People can sit in their homes on Friday night. They can turn on their computer. They can hear the auctioneer and myself converse. They can hear all of the activity. We call bid just like you uh-huh. would if you were in the building. Sure. We might not actually have any people here in the building, especially since COVID. Thank goodness we went to the online process when we were starting to transition out here to Fallon yeah. because otherwise it probably would have put us out of business, but instead we're thriving.
3: That's awesome. In fact, I've, I've had an opportunity to join through bid as one of the online uh, contest or not contestants, but bidders. And I have noticed that it is a very real-time process that what, you can ask a question to you to the auctioneers and you get a fairly immediate response. And when your bid gets triggered and during the live auction, it's recognized immediately. There's no lag time. There's no latency period where, gee, did my bid just get lost? It's a very real-time process.
4: Yes, that's true. You know, every once in a while, Blair will drop the hammer a little fast, but the online bidders, the computer controls whether or not the bid is accepted or not. So if if it's accepted through the computer, then it has to be accepted even if he's tried to drop the hammer and say sold, only because if there is like a half of a second there, uh, the computer is more in control, I guess you can say, than the auctioneer, which is different now that we're going online.
3: So the auctions take place every Friday night around 5.30 p.m. When does the online catalog become available for the upcoming auction? Because you can actually place bids before the auction starts. Yes, yeah,
4: so you can start placing bids as early as Tuesday when some of the pictures come up. Uh, we have people in the, in the room cataloging Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays. By Thursday afternoon, full catalog is up and ready for full viewing and bidding. So then you have the rest of Thursday and all day Friday right up until 530 to place your online absentee bids or your pre-bidding and then prepare for the Friday night live bidding action.
3: Okay. Well, that sounds great. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I have uh, been involved with Sammy B's for quite a number of years and you find some really, really interesting things, sometimes for pennies on the dollar and things that you wouldn't expect to find because a lot of these things come from estates. They come from, I guess, bankruptcies. Just it's an amazing collection of things that are available. And I invite you to join weathervainauctions.com to join in on the fun at uh, Sammy B's Auction House. Well, Sammy, thank you for joining us, because like I told you, we've already already pretty much gone over eight minutes and Eight and a half minutes. I think people will find your auction site to be a lot of fun and you find a lot of interesting things. And uh, I think we're going to follow up with you as we get into the summer that sounds great. and uh, s- see what you've got going on. Thanks, so, Steve, it's been thank- fun. It has been fun and, and we'll see you soon. So always check back and see what kind of auction they have going on at Sammy B's. And again, it's Weathervane Auctions, W-E-A-T-H-E-R-V-A-N-E auctions.com. Bill, Jeremy, and Gretchen, back to you in the studio.
1: Steve, thank you. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Great show this week, guys. Yeah. You know, I really am enjoying doing the Q&A again. And, you know, it's just a lot of good questions come in and it's fun to pick them up and you know the other thing is thinking about the old film and how that actually ends up becoming high definition. Um, it kind well, of, yeah, I've,
2: I've always been able to ta- see that kind of stuff when I worked with graphic design because if you don't start with a really high resolution, you can't make it bigger.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah. And it just uh, you know it's it's just interesting to uh, to see that. So it's worth it's definitely worth doing. And you know some of this new tech, Jeremy. I know we talked in the past a little bit about the 3D printer and Gretchen. I know you're making a costume that's a mandalorian costume not the mandalorian but a mandalorian right yeah and there's different parts and some of it's easier to just
0: you know cut it out of sintra, or in 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 some cases uh, jeremy's been able to find patterns um for 3d pieces and right. so he had printed out my uh, pauldrons mm-hmm. and gauntlets and gauntlets and
2: a couple weapons so how's that been going <laughs> easy to do uh, there's challenges Yeah. The whole thing is challenging. It just, um, for some reason it seems like everybody wants to have a 3d printer that you have to, um, dial in to get all the pieces to look good. And, um, that's not really how I like to print stuff. (laughs) What do you mean by dial in? Well, you got to make sure that the, um, your withdrawal rate is, is, is right. The layer height is correct. The temperature Um, you know, you make sure your, your first layer is, is printed correctly. And sometimes that means you have to make the first layer smaller and print it hotter. So it sticks to the bed more. And then, you know, then it goes back to a regular temperature for the rest of the filament. And, um, it's just a lot of little weird little things. If your if your stepper motor doesn't move things the right way, it'll mess up your print and the, the motors can wear out. The nozzles can wear out. The heating element can get clogged and it's just starting to get to be, I'm replacing the whole thing. I don't think I'm going to have anything left that was original <laughs> except the frame. Oh, my goodness.
1: That sounds like me and cars. So I understand kind of where you're coming from there. But uh, but all in all, it gets, the, gets it done. Now, I know you got the new filament that's supposed to be wood. Yes. And how did that turn out? Uh, my first, my test print was okay. I printed
2: a couple of small things that seemed to work out great. I was going to print something bigger um, but that was when my nozzle clogged. So okay. right now I'm waiting on a new nozzle and I'm probably going to have to get a new heating element, but I'm not sure.
1: All righty. Well, we'll have to see how all <laughs> that goes. I, I'll tell you. <laughs> I think it's
0: it's mind boggling, you know, and then sometimes I think, oh, maybe it'd be easier. Just, you know, cut it out of Sintra, you know, some, but, of, it. some of it, but it, it, it's, it's amazing. Once he gets
1: some of these things printed out, they feel really sturdy. Well, I know I've seen some of the stuff that you've printed and it all seems at the end of the day, at least the part I've seen, To really be solid and a lot better quality than maybe something you'd order online, you know? Well,
2: sometimes the things you're ordering online are 3D printed. And other people finish them, sand them, and paint them. And then, you know, you receive that product. Right. So
1: still pretty cool. So we'll have to see how all this goes. And until next week, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge
2: user-friendly 2.0 is copyright 2020 user-friendly media group inc the views and opinions expressed in this show are those of the hosts and not necessarily user-friendly media group inc or this station music licensing by bmi hosting provided by we podcast available at the or
0: userfriendlyshow.com.